Millennial Falcon Podcast, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area, and with me as always are my two co-hosts. I'm Hwai Chen Bui, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in D.C. And I am Anya Crittenton, a writer at Gay Star News. Alright guys, this week HT is bringing me and Willoughby back into her mid-2000s bullshit, a.k.a. Doctor Who. Or is it mid I guess it is mid 2000s because it's it was early 2000s. Yeah. Or no, mid 2010. It started in 2005. It started in 2005. Like we don't really didn't get into it until like I don't know, college and like stuff. 2010, okay, 2011. Talk to yourself like I got into the show hardcore in like sophomore junior year of high school. Okay. All right, all right. Okay. We got an OG here. Listen. Yeah. Listen. But before we get into that, we have a word from our sponsors. You didn't even let me introduce what we're doing for the episode. Oh, I thought we talked about Doctor Who already. Let's keep going first before we get to more sponsors. Okay. Thank you. We'll go back in time and fix it. Cutting off my beautiful theme. HT's too excited that she's just like, getting all messed up. I am. So a few weeks ago, we all did an episode on Doctor Who and our relationship with the show and why we all at various points stopped watching, but how we feel about it. And so we all decided that we miss it and we want to come back. HD has fallen the hardest and the deepest back into the Doctor Who hole. Willoughby's following her and I am following them. And so this episode... pieces to get finished before to get back into our bullshit. I know. I, I told them. I was like, I will go back and rewatch some Peter Capaldi and stuff after I finish my thesis. I am I have to discipline myself, you guys. But not enough that I can't watch the first female Doctor. Yes. Yeah. Which is amazing. And that is exactly what we're talking about. We're going to be reviewing Jodie Whittaker's first episode as the 13th Doctor. 13th? Yep. 13th Doctor. 13th. Technically um, 14, but we'll get into that at some point in our future I mean, lives. No, we're not gonna, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, war Doctor. <sighs> screw the War Doctor. Hey, um, alright. I, respect to John Hurt, though. I mean, respect to John Hurt. No respect to Stephen Moffat and all that <laughs> for that bullshit. Um, anyway, we're gonna be reviewing Jodie Whittaker's first episode, um, and how excited we are for this upcoming season, and how why it feels like a kind of a new chapter for Doctor Who, even beyond Jodie Whittaker, I think. Mm-hmm. I think just in general. Um, and so now we will have a word from our sponsors. The Millennial Falcon is brought to you by Pockets. They're usually for men, which is terrible. They should be for both men and women. Why do women's pockets, why are they so small? I don't get it. It's annoying for you most women. HT, this ad, this ad feels like a call-out post <laughs> to to society, like the patriarchy and the how patriarchy. they don't give us pockets. It is. It's true. Yep. Speaking of pockets. Right, that might have been, that might have been the, the dorkiest opening I've ever done. We just blew out everybody's ears, and I don't apologize. <laughs> I think everyone stopped playing this episode at that moment. Yeah, they're just like, oh, they're back on their Doctor Who bullshit? Okay, what else do we got? Oh, that always, singing the theme always makes you think of when uh, David Tennant and Billy Piper did the commentary. It might have been for Doomsday. 
Um, and they sing the theme together in their commentary, and it's, like, adorable. It also reminds me of the season six, the Doctor Who Confidential episode, in which Matt Smith and uh, James Corden are just goofing around late at night on their second episode, and they're singing the theme song and then, like, throwing Daleks at each other, and it's adorable as well. <laughs> I really like that, like, whenever the three of us talk about Doctor Who, I'm always bringing in references from, like the first four seasons and you are always bringing in references from like the Matt Smith era. It's like you and I are both just like, hold on, let me get this reference in. Wait. <laughs> yeah. We're a hardcore both stands for both. On, on, on opposite sides of the time war. Time war. The time war for the favorite doctor. But then again, everyone has their own favorite and that's I fine. Think less doctor and more the sh- well. Showrunners. Either. Showrunners. Well, uh, y'all hate, equally hate uh, Stephen Moffat. So. Well, yeah. Although I will say, doing the rewatch, I'm more forgiving of Moffat. I don't. I think he still has the same problems as before, but I don't think that he is like the dark evil that you know ruined Doctor Who. So he's also just a bad person. Like yeah. regardless of Doctor Who, he's just like a misogynist in real life, and so I'm like. But I don't have time. He can to. sure write a good standalone episode, and he has that. He has a little magic hand when it comes to to dialogue. And I know, I know, I know. He's a misogynist, and he always reuses the same female characters, and they're always not really female characters as much as they are a collection of attributes. But I, I just, I just love season five so much. But that's not what we're getting into today. We're not getting into. <laughs> we've already a, discussed that. We already did like a whole debate about that. To listen to that episode, <laughs> go back a couple. Go back in time, a few episodes yes. even. And now we're going forward in time. Yes, forward in time and to a new era, uh, with the season eleven premiere of Doctor Who, which aired last week, "The Woman Who Fell to Earth." It's written by Chris Chibnall under the new. Um, guidance of Chris Chibnall, who's the new showrunner for the series, and Jodie Whittaker is starring as the Doctor, the first hey, female I have Doctor. A question, guys. Yes. Uh, if Stephen Moffat wrote this episode, would the title be "The Girl Who Fell to Earth" yeah. instead of "The Woman Who Fell to Earth"? Yeah. Maybe I don't know, but also, like, he wouldn't refer to the Doctor as a girl, though. I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, we're not. We're here to discuss new shows, um, and let's, let's start with. Go for it. Well, let's start. I mean, you mentioned Stephen. We've met Paul Matthew Moffat, and now we have Chris Chibnall. And I feel like Doctor Who is definitely a show that is defined not only by its Doctor, but by its showrunner. Like mm-hmm. Russell T Davies had like such a specific energy that I really loved. It's why the first four seasons are my favorite, um, and then. Stephen Moffat has his energy, and I think I'm excited to see what Chris Chibnall brings to the show. Now, he's not newbie to Doctor Who. He wrote one of my favorite episodes of season one. He wrote Father's Day. That's the one where they go back in time and Rose saves her father from being hit by the car. Um, It's one of the most emotional episodes, kind of in early on Doctor Who years, and I think he also... He's written several, so he's written the season... Uh, did Did he write Family of Blood? No, he didn't. Okay. He wrote the season four, ep- the season three episode forty-two. He wrote uh, the season five episode two-parter, "The Hungry Earth." He wrote the season six episode, "The Power of Three, oh, as I love that well episode. as um, "Dinosaurs on a Spaceship." Oh, I love both. 
Yeah, so I think, so Christian Bale definitely has, like, he has the experience, he's been around, he knows this universe, um, and I think, I'm excited to see what he brings, so I feel like if you can, if you say Russell T. Davies kind of brought the sort of the silly adventurousness of Doctor Who, and Stephen Moffat brought the, what would you say, HT? So what I would describe each of their, the showrunners, like, the specific twist on Doctor Who is that I feel like Russell T. Davies was definitely kind of camp meets soap. So he really brought this more, and I don't mean soap in like a derogatory way. I mean like that sort of, it felt kind of like a primetime teen soap Buffy era type thing. Like, you know how Buffy brings in this more teen soap, primetime soap opera feel to the horror genre Mm -hmm. and he was very much influenced by Buffy the Vampire Slayer it it was like an emotionally character driven series that had a few campy moments and was a little bit over the top and a little bit bizarre but was definitely anchored by some of those more like human elements as well it's just kind of like the soapy elements that was like kind of EastEnders type thing it felt very much like if EastEnders had time travel in it for example, East Enders being yeah. a long-running British soap opera. Um, so that's kind of how I would characterize Russell T. Davies' era. And then Stephen Moffat is kind of like the uh, the J.J. Abrams, in a way, where he really loves his puzzle boxes. He loves his mystery yeah. box. He's the mystery box much. meets whimsy. A lot of it too much. Yeah. But he likes his mystery box meets whimsy. He loves his fairy tale elements. It's especially prevalent in season five, but it keeps coming up in later seasons. He likes to do that fairy tale, uh, bedtime story type of thing. He makes the doctor more mythic, more grand. Um, definitely more of just like that kind of figure in history versus just kind of the we'll eat dinner at your at your at Christmas with the family doctors that Russell T. Davies had. Yeah, and they do that where the eleventh doctor does go to Clara's Christmas party and it's awkward. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't be as awkward, I think, if David Tennant was in it. Yeah. Because I feel like the, the two different te- doctors are like Stephen Moffat Listen, makes ten showing up for Christmas in season two with Rose and Jackie is adorable. Oh no, that's it what is. I'm saying. Is that that's what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. If, if the eleventh Doctor shows up to a Christmas party, he's a little bit of a giraffe busting through a china shop. Um, and True. I think that yeah. The, so the, like, there's there's also this could be just my filmmaker like brain. It gets a lot more cinematic in yes. terms of like storytelling and filmmaking, like. It it's goes from being filmed with, scope. yeah, like the BBC gave the, a budget to its cameras, yeah, especially like they were like, "Oh, hey, do you guys, are you, do you guys want to film in high definition? Is that something you want to do? Do you not and want like, like yeah, a camera that, that looks like has Vaseline slathered all over it? Vaseline and filmed with a potato. Like let's let's upgrade our stuff." Um, and they did, and now and the there was an opening shot of the Thirteenth Doctor's episode where. Like, they're out in a field, and it's just, like, the sun is rising. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Everything about this is so, like, glorious. The interesting thing about – I'm going to go a little bit into The Woman Who Fell to Earth and my, like, first reactions to it is that even though it has the same budget as Moffat's era, it feels a lot smaller in a way. Mm -hmm. It definitely brings it back to that human element, and you can see that in Chris Chibnall's earlier episodes for Doctor Who. He likes his character-driven – dramas and stories and it feels a lot 
of it kind of unfolds like a crime drama, which you can tell, like he brings in his his experience with the broad church into mm-hmm. it as well. That's uh, why I'm excited for him. I feel like he's going to bring the emotion and the humanity. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hoping that turns out to be his trademarks. Yeah. Because I think that could be really good. I will say, though, I was a little disappointed by the visuals because it was just it was so dark and a little bit dingy and like because it was so character driven it felt like there's a lot of close-ups it didn't have like quite the sweeping um action that you got in some like early Moffat episodes or even some early Russell T Davies episodes um it definitely felt like it was very drama driven which is like good for some in some aspects so that was like one thing I was worried about because I was like okay it's a little slow it's a little bit like small right now and I kind of want something that like wows me and right like if you think about it remember that first episode of season six where like they go to like the hair like the 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 middle of the dalek empire or whatever and it's like ten thousand daleks in one room and like that's like the big like show-stopping like scene and then but now we've got like they're out in the middle of nowhere and not not even in terms of that but just like in terms of like introductory episodes for a doctor like even um, like David, like Chris, Christopher Eccleston's episode felt very brisk. Rose felt very brisk and felt very like action packed. David Tennant's intro, uh, which has a lot of similarities to Woman Who Fell to Earth, in which he doesn't really appear until like two thirds of the way through the episode, it still felt like you know, bigger in a way. And this one, it was just kind of like a little smaller. It didn't feel like it matched up to. Jodie Whittaker's, like, sublime performance. But I'll get into that later, of course. This is just, like, my kind of feeling about it, where, where, I, was feel like, where I feel like the episode itself was a little small, where Jodie Whittaker was so big, and I wanted the episode to match with her. Interesting, interesting. I don't really agree. Because mm-hmm. um, for me, uh, Doctor Who, the heart lies with the companions, not with the Doctor. Mm-hmm. And so the Doctor can be as big as they want to be, um, and they're always bigger, but, like, for me... I always feel like a good, it comes down to, like, showrunner and companions, and I think that's another reason why I'm not a huge fan of Stephen Moffat, is I didn't love Amy, Mm. which is nothing against Karen Galen, because she is wonderful, it's entirely to do with the way Stephen Moffat wrote Amy, Um, and I think the companions are the heart of the Doctor Who series, and they always have been, and so I loved the smallness and the intimacy of this episode, and, like, like, meeting Ryan and Yaz and Grace and Graham, and I feel like we got to know them so well. Like, in just one episode, I feel like I know who Ryan is. I feel like I know who Yaz is, which is really amazing. Like, I loved a little bit about Ryan not being able to ride a bike because he has, um, like, a, what was it, a discoordination? Uh, Dyspraxia. Dyspraxia, yeah. Dyspraxia, yeah. And, like, I loved that because it was just this little bit of thing but you see the way he approaches riding a bike and it teaches it shows you so much about who he is as a character and so i'm already in love with the companions Mm -hmm. and that for me is like the first big test when i watch doctor who is am i gonna love the companion i actually agree with that is doctor who to me yeah i agree with you in that part i really love the character and companion introductions and especially how we start off with uh, Ryan's point of view and like him doing the intro through his YouTube vlog, which, yeah. which definitely feels very like millennial, millennial modern. Yeah, and um, smash that we, like button. <laughs> and how he talks about you know the greatest woman he's ever met, and it's his, it's revealed later on that it's his grandmother. Um, I like that a lot. I like that character driven narrative. I think more like my complaint or like my criticism is with the visuals of it. 
if you know okay. what I mean. Yeah. It's well, not with the storytelling in general, but it's just kind of like, everything's just so dark. I also, like, this is my, my, um... It was a very dark episode. It's a dark episode. It's just, like, this yes. is my complaint with a lot of, like, TV today. Like, turn on the lights. Just, like, right? why does everything have to be so dark? It was very, I know. I mean, it's very, it's very in line with his crime drama, Yeah. Like, which is, like, is that's, yeah, that's just like a little a, a nitpick for me. I'm like, no, I just, I really dislike that. It, and um, it, like, yeah, the world is so bright and colorful. Let us see it exactly. And it's just but like like the- choices like that, but also like the yeah. way that sorry for like keep talking about like the way that for example, uh, the doctor like crashes into the screen like for the first time. I feel like happens it, it happens suddenly, which is great. But like you, it almost happens off screen. You kind of just like see the roof and then like that yeah it. and i was like oh i want something like you know like a little bit more with impact and instead of just like being like in this tiny square you see it like happen a little off screen you're like what just happened and like i don't know i kind of want like a bigger something bigger i don't know I, I feel like i'm i'm saying like i want like a big blockbuster or something and that's not what exactly what i want i just wish that the visuals in this in this um episode like were better you, like you kind of wish that they took more of a beat to introduce her yeah like instead of just having her fall right into the into no, the scene not even that it's just that i wish they they filmed it differently i wish okay. that maybe we saw it from like a different angle instead of just being like oh the roof suddenly caved in what happened so you mean like the literal like filmmaking because the, the like, filmmaking I, actually, I really like that this episode wasn't about the doctor yeah yeah, yeah. like i like the for me this episode wasn't an introduction to jodie whittaker's doctor i feel like we're gonna get that like in the next episode mm-hmm or in the next few episodes, this like to me... Like Tenet's Doctor. Yeah. Yeah, this to me felt like a, let's meet Ryan and Yaz and Graham, let's meet that dynamic. And so I appreciated that, because I don't need to know Jodie Whittaker's Doctor yet. Like, yeah. we're going to get to know her. And the Doctor is always kind of the more aloof, out there sort of character, whereas, like, the, the companions, the humans, like, ground in. So, like, yeah. the I mean, there's a reason that it's called Doctor Who. It's because it's from the point of view of the companions. Doctor they're like, Who. they're exactly. always wondering exactly. who is this this random person who is like the smartest person in the room. Who is the Doctor? And, and that's why it's so people, good. They're not the most important person in the room. Like, that's what I love about the show is that it's about time and space and like the unendingness of the whole galaxy and the whole universe and yet the most important people are these like individual human companions and like they are the ones who are capable of anything yep and like they're the true heroes of the series and like that's why i love it so much and why i'm already excited about these three companions because i i feel like i'm already attached to all three of them yeah i'm really excited about them too and i also like that they're not like cosmically important like a lot of the moffat eric companions were which did did annoy me a lot i was like okay we don't need to have like this whole you know Myth, like backstory to why they need to right, be the like, companion. Let's have Clara introduce them to the TARDIS. Like, mm-hmm. well, no, let's not no, do that. That was bad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I was going to say, uh, maybe the real Doctor Who are the friends we made along the way. Yes, that's what I this mean, episode is about, really. But actually. Like, and I like that Ryan and Yaz were like childhood friends who like met up later. Yeah. They were yeah. Like, oh, what's up? I remember you from primary. It's like, oh, yes, hello. I know that was adorable. And also, it's just, like, it's so refreshing to see, like, diversity. Yes. <laughs> like, it's really, like, we get our first female companion, or female doctor, and we have two companions of color, and, like, Graham might be, like, the token white guy, but I feel like I'm already going to love him. But he's older, and usually the companions are not old. Which I appreciate. He's, like, he's, like, he's like a more skeptical wilf. He is. He's kind of like, um, well, it, it actually reminds me of, like, uh, Chris Chibnall's previous episode, 
the dinosaurs on a spaceship in which he brought Rory's dad along, and it kind of has that similar dynamic. And it's kind of like this gang where of people of of people who are just drawn together and stuff. He likes Rory that group dynamic it. a lot. And also, it's, camp, you guys. it's like um, yeah, it's, he's like an old grump who's like, I don't want to be here. Yeah, he's the skeptic. <laughs> I can tell Yaz is going to be like the action prone one immediately. She's going to be the one who's yeah. like really smart, really shrewd, and kind of like takes action first. Ryan's and then Ryan the is the one that we sympathize with the most because he <laughs> has he struggles the most with like, especially with his um, disability, which will have, which will get in the way. I think with a lot of like the action. And he's going to be kind of that like, hesitant hero, and he's not mm-hmm. going to believe in himself. Yeah. Um, but we're going to see him for, like, the hero he really is. Yeah, I love that. I'm excited for his arc a lot. Same. It's going to be, like, lovely. And I, I feel like Graham is going to, like, I feel like he's going to grow from, like, the kind of prickly, skeptical one to, like, the warm-hearted, mm-hmm. like, protector. Yeah. Agreed. I really I'm like very- this, this group of companions, too. I like how easily <laughs> they all come together. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really happy. I love I love Yaz. Love I'm very excited for her. Yeah, and Ryan. But um, Willby, I feel like I've mean Anya's kind of like talking a lot over this. Do you have anything else that you want to like say about like the companions? What your like your initial thoughts on this episode? Um, I liked it. It I thought it was a solid episode. I could see the crime procedural like like uh like he like I feel like that's in his wheelhouse, especially after doing Broadchurch of like this is how he wants to like kind of like take a take a like take a look at mysteries which is good because like it's a different sort of mystery box whereas Stephen Moffat was doing like we have to unravel this mystery piece by piece and it's not going to make sense whereas um the way that they took apart like oh there's two aliens Jodie Whittaker was like oh maybe they're maybe they're at war with each other like alien versus predator they didn't make that reference but it's like a very there's like some parallels to that and then you find out no it's the same like the alien is the the tooth alien that like the warrior alien is using the other alien to find the human to hunt um and that was like an interesting reveal like it's not two alien races warring with each other but it's one dude and another alien like going after and i thought just the whole idea of like unraveling a mystery in a real like actual crime procedural sort of way with an actual police officer too was was fascinating i'm gonna it's it's gonna be interesting to see how they approach the monster of the week formula in like like going forward because it's gonna it's probably gonna feel more like this hopefully not as darkly lit um but i you know i thought I thought Jodie Whittaker was amazing. Uh, we haven't really talked a lot about yeah, her yet. Let's talk um, about Jodie Whittaker, guys. Yeah, and the rest of the companions were great. And um, yeah. All right. Well, let's use that to dive into Jodie Whittaker's Doctor and her intro. I'm very excited to talk about her because I think that she was definitely the standout of this episode, aside from the companions, of course, who were like just still getting to know. But I think she really shone uh, in her introductory episode. I. I'm in love with her already. I just think that she is so bright and just such a ray of sunshine that she kind of lights up this really dark episode in a sense. Um, She's funny. She's physical. I really like her physicality. That scene, especially when she wakes up from her, like, you know, passing out on the couch. And she was like, oh, great nap. I really needed that nap, like comfy couch. And then she, like, immediately picks up Ryan's phone and, like, zaps herself with it and, like, gets thrown into the wall and then has that like little line about like the comfy couch i love that that was like that sold me and just like the fact that she um 
she's this definitely uh, a much more like, both optimistic and more like ready to help doctor than any we- we've seen before. Very Even with like Eccleston and Tennant's doctors, they weren't as immediate to jump to the help of others as she oh, is. Definitely not Eccleston's doctor. Definitely not Eccleston. Even that Tennant boy to a was sense, ready like, to kill. Yeah, Tennant would only kill for like Rose and her family. Like he, it took him a little of a bit, bit of convincing even. And uh Matt Smith too, like his doctor was like it, only if he, it interested him. Capaldi was like the least of it all until like his later seasons. And I think this is actually sort of the character development of the doctor which has kind of happened like really gradually and really subtly. But I like that she's kind of the the end point of that development since since Eccleston first stepped onto the scene until like Capaldi just kind of became this doctor who was really kind. And I'm like, this is going to be me raving about Capaldi a little bit <laughs> because I, you know, I did my whole rewatch and I really love Capaldi's, Capaldi's development from like an uncaring, almost cruel, like grouch who like refused almost to help uh, until like uh, until she, he was urged by his companions like Clara, um, he at the end became the kindest doctor and had this really really beautiful speech. Anya, when you get to it, I need to talk to you about it. I'm very excited for Capaldi. <laughs> he gave this beautiful speech about how it's not about winning; it's just about a, being kind, and there's no reward from it. It's just doing what's right. And I I cry during that speech. I cry when I think about it right now. And I think that like Jodie Whittaker's doctor is definitely the embodiment of that and just kind of the the result of all that development that we've seen for the past 10 seasons, which is kind of great for a show like this that has like very little continuity between showrunner to showrunner like we just talked about before. This is something that we, it's like, it's very interesting that like you can have a show that's like has a soft reboot like this with season eleven and like with every like other showrunner and that still kind of maintains a little through line like that. So I just wanted to give a shout out to that and I like that this Doctor is kind of the next step evolution of everything that the Doctors before have gone through and yet she feels so wholly new and she has that really beautiful speech that a lot of people have been likening to. Um, making the transition to uh to transgender for transgender people about like you know keeping some part of yourself but and like using that as a way to guide your new self i'm paraphrasing (laughs) but that's essentially the gist of it and i thought it was really beautiful and like a kind of promise to the audience that this is something that is familiar but it will be something completely new as well and i like that a lot it reminds me of Matt Smith's final speech, which, just thinking about it, also brings me to tears, um, about how you keep becoming different people throughout your lives, but you still remember who you were back then. And so you take that going forward. And so it's almost like it's a different version of the same speech, because it's like, that was at the end, that was that was the 11th Doctor basically explaining, like, it's okay, I'm going. Mm-hmm. And then uh, hers is more like, it's okay, I'm here. Oh, I love that, Willoughby. Bring me to tears again. That's Hell really yeah. beautiful. <laughs> this is why I love Doctor Who, guys. It's just, it's sci-fi with heart. And I think that so this, much heart. this episode definitely got back to those roots of sci-fi with heart. Yeah, agreed. Jodie Whittaker is like, she just feels like sunshine. Like, she's so bright, and she makes funny faces, 
and she she perfectly embodies like the goofiness that is the doctor. Very that I her think, facial. That I think all doctors have had. Yeah, I was gonna say her facial expressions are very Tenant esque. Yeah, her, but her even like someone are... like oh, go ahead. I was gonna say even someone like Eccleston like had a lot of goofy moments in mm-hmm. yeah. the first season, and like I feel like that's always been kind of like a quirk of the Doctor, and I feel like Dodie is already bringing it in spades. Yeah. I was about to say, um, her facial expressions are Tenant-esque, but then her physicality is also very kind of Smith-esque. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. I like. Yeah. It's like a combination. Yeah. And then she has the kindness of later Capaldi. Yes. And, and also the, the short cropped hair of Christopher Eccleston. <laughs> Just kidding. I think that she might be, I think we saw a little hint of a, a sort of her, not her anger, but kind of the re- resol- resoluteness, the resolve of uh, Eccleston as well. Also, a bit of the northern accent. And the, and the northern accent. I love her accent, by the way. Can I say? It's so cute. Her accent is great. She's so oh, Man, I miss them making fun of Nine's accent. <laughs> yeah. Well, this one, this one took place in, like, a northern English town, so, now, like, everyone was just kind of Makes having sense. the same a- accent. Um, and I like that a lot. It felt very... I felt like this episode, especially, has a good sense of place. It felt very, like, tactile and grounded in a way that we haven't <laughs> felt for Doctor Who in a while. Which yeah. I like. Which I both like and also, also hesitant about because you know how much I love like the, the grandness of Doctor Who. So well, I'm like sometimes I'm sure we'll a little get bit to it, on the final fence. shot. I mean they're in space. So. Yes they are. Yeah. Way to just like kill everybody at once. <laughs> <laughs> Although that kind of gets um immediately uh what's the word i'm looking for resolved resolved not resolved but like you know um saluted this dissolved something whatever the word i'm looking for because like of the previews because we know that they're better at the end oh subverted not subverted but some word it's a word i'm looking for that i don't really know right now well like the cliffhanger the the cliffhanger is like undermined by the yes undermined that's it Uh, undermined yeah because like yeah it's it kind of like it kind of like cuts through the Attention. cliffhanger um because it's like well we obviously know the companions aren't gonna die in the first episode oh, and like so from the trailer we've seen that they're like the companions of the season so yeah, right well it's funny because i watched it on amazon because i don't have cable um and so i had to watch it through uh amazon like a like well i watched it today but i would have had to watch it a day after and, and it was funny because it's like oh there's no preview not like how they built it into the actual episodes uh in the older seasons like mm-hmm. it, it doesn't show up it's just credits so i have no idea what's happening in season, in episode two yeah um speaking of like death though i do want to say one thing about this episode that mm, i have like mixed feelings about um and that is the character of grace uh who i immediately loved um and i also had a sinking feeling almost immediately that she was not going to last through this first episode mm-hmm. um and she didn't um, and I loved her, and it seemed very predictable she would die, and kind of why she would die, and that she sort of, like, had to die, but it sort of, for me, bordered a bit on fridging, almost because her death is really to motivate Graham and Ryan, yep. and, like, their emotional journey and their relationship with each other, yep. and so 
I loved Grace because she was kind of, you know, she was immediately likable and she was like wanting to jump into action and she kept calling Jodie Whittaker like love, which was yeah. adorable. Oh, I love that. And she was a yeah. nurse. She's, and she was a she, nurse, she's yeah. She's very like, she knows how to get her, do things. And she's yeah. the one who was like most on board too with the action. Yeah. Like when Graham was like, I don't know about this. She's like, oh, this is exciting. Let's do this. Yeah. She definitely has. Probably- yeah, which is kind of why we knew she died. Mm-hmm. We, we knew she was going to die. But it just, it really did sort of have that borderline fridging just yeah. because it does motivate the emotional journey of two male characters. Yeah, the whole thing with, with Grace was one of my also least favorite parts of it because yeah. it felt a little bit emotionally hollow. It did. In the way that you're talking about. And also, it kind of is something that Doctor Who, unfortunately, has a habit of doing in which it introduces this character who like the doctor immediately likes and seems like a potential companion and is like great and then just like you know kicks it and like at the end of the episode yeah Yeah, a lot of like christmas specials have that Mm -hmm. like where the doctor is in between companions and like gets a uh, a companion for an episode and everyone's like hey this companion's really cool and fun and could be a really dynamic character along with the doctor Oop, they're oh they're dead oh, and usually i'm also used to like the companion's families living because like jackie and mickey mm-hmm. like were always fine like even if they were in danger like they never died or anything right. and like martha's family survived and like with donna her like wilf and her mom like they were always around and so so I was like, are they going to kill her? Because they don't usually kill companion families. And then they did, and I wasn't surprised, but I was a little bit like, this is hollow and doesn't feel yeah. right. Definitely. I mean, I think it was a, a byproduct of, you know, 45-minute storytelling. You can only cram so much, like, character introduction in without, you know, do, result, resulting in, without resorting to something like that, in which is kind of an easy narrative shortcut. But it bothered me in the same way that it did you, Anya. I was like, uh, it's a little cheap. And I liked her a lot. And it felt kind of, I mean, I guess in the way it felt, feels more like a loss because of that. And it does wrap in Ryan's whole arc. But I also was like not a big fan. And especially because you know that it's going to happen because she doesn't appear in any other marketing material. Yeah. And it's going to be, it's like, it's, that's like the, it was the one thing that like was bringing Graham and Ryan together. And they clearly like, don't have the best relationship and so like without her there they're gonna have to like figure out their relationship with each other um which potentially could be interesting it could be interesting but again that's like and like i'm excited to see that but it was like that's kind of one of those things where it's like her death it like sir was in service of that yeah and but i also like i i was thinking about it and i couldn't see any other way how they would like take off with the doctor, and she wouldn't. Because she seemed like the kind of person who would be like, yeah, I'm on board, too. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But I do want to say one thing. The one good thing that came out of, like, her death and, like, the whole funeral scene, which was really touching, was, um, like, the doctor kind of sticking around for that, which is something new that you don't really see. Like, I think that this is a doctor who, like, you know, is more in touch with, like, emotions and with staying and not running off immediately, like. Yeah. The doctor is pretty good at being, like, emotionally distant until they get too involved in their companions, mm-hmm. and then they're like, I will literally destroy a planet for you. Yeah. It's like, the doctor is like, there's no, like, in-between. It's just, like, extreme, either, like, aloofness or, like, I don't care about you. Like, I'm a loner. And then it's like, I would kill for you. The doctor's kind okay, of a dick. Was it tending, burning up 
Tenet was burning up a sun just to say hi to Rose on another dimension or something. Yeah. I mean, remember, and even in like episode, season one, when Nine has that whole line where he's like, I could save the world but lose you. And he's like seriously considering just letting the world die so he yeah. can save Rose. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, listen, this gets right to my shipper heart and I am here for it. That's what I love about the Doctor is that the Doctor is inherently a selfish character. Like, the Doctor is so flawed. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about the character is, like, they're the hero. Well, the companions are the heroes. But, like, the Doctor as this kind of, like, mythical, grand figure. When he's going to get to know the Doctor in every iteration, there are always these very big flaws. And you're like, oh, you're not always a good alien. Yep. The Doctor's kind but of a dick. At all. And especially, like... In like tenants like era, you he's so charming that you you sometimes forget it. But then he does things like you know uh, deposes Harriet Jones, which was like the, I, I thought really shitty. I was just like, wow, that was a really bad Don't thing you to do. Think she looks tired. I hated that. I was like, oh, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, but then again, it's like also awesome. kind of in character for him. It is in character. I mean, the way he talks about Mickey mm-hmm. is like interesting because it's like it's you think he's so charming and cute. And, like, you realize the kind of maliciousness yeah. underneath. And, and the way he feels about Rose. And, yeah, and his, like, he needs to keep Rose to him. And it's, like, man. And then you get the doctor who just cucks Mickey all over the place. Mm-hmm. Taking Rose. Yep. I mean, to I'm be interested. Fair, I'm interested to see how uh, Jodie Whittaker plays those flaws. Because right now she's just so fun and she's so cute and so likable. So pure. But I, yeah, it's so pure. And I'm interested to see how she plays, like, the darker aspects of the Doctor. And, like, the more flawed aspects of yeah. the Doctor. Because I feel like, you know, I'm I'm going to loathe the day we get a... Is the 13th Doctor a Mary Sue? Because we might get that. Cause, Wait, like, are you ter- kidding me? Men, oh, no. Cause yeah. men, no, because men are terrible, and you're going to get that. I mean, like... That article... <laughs> That but the doctor, will the doctor himself, or even before what occurred, the doctor is a Mary Sue. Like as, oh, no. as a man, he was a Mary Sue too. Like that's the thing. But it was never. It's it's the Luke Skywalker race sort of deal, where it's like, oh, the same qualities that a woman has that a man had a a previous character that was a man. Like now, now all the misogynists are going to be like the Thirteenth Doctor is a man. You know it's happening. You know it's going to happen. I know. I'm not looking forward to that at all. They're the worst. They ruin everything. Anyways, let's start. Let's end this on a happier note. We're not going to ruin anything. We're just going to love it and be excited for it because I think the season's going to be awesome. I am so excited for this season, and I am already ready to dress up as the Thirteenth Doctor for Halloween. Yes. I have everything except for her sonic screwdriver. I still have the eleventh ones, and I'm probably just going to use that one. That's right here. <laughs> oh, oh. We showing our sonic screwdriver. We are. I got my tenth one. Yeah. <laughs> and Anya has the ninth one, of course, which is the same as the tenth one. But, anyways, um, I think that's a good way to wrap up our discussion, our review, in a sense. It was kind of a review. It was just mostly us raving about Doctor Who. This is now a Doctor Who fan cast. Yep. It is. Uh, so if you were looking forward to any sort of movie reviews or anything in the future, just it's not happening anymore. It's not happening. It's, it's just going to be all Doctor Who. Who. Welcome to Geronimo, a Doctor Who fan cast. Alan <laughs> Z. Fantastic. Brilliant. She needs to have a catchphrase. I know. I'm excited to figure out what her catchphrase will be. Right now, it's just brilliant because that was her first words. But Was it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but for now, we'll we'll have to wait and see. I'm gonna just call it her brilliant for now on because she is brilliant. She is brilliant. 
All right. Um, that's a great way to wrap up our review of The Woman Who Fell to Earth. I'm looking forward to the next episode of Doctor Who, which airs tonight uh, on BBC America, also on Amazon Prime the next day, like Willoughby said. Uh, well, before. I'm per se. You have, I did have to buy it. Oh, you did. Okay, never mind. I then. had to buy it. I, I did have to spend $3. Oh, okay. Never mind then. You will have to pay money. Oops. Um, but before we uh, wrap up and go to our next segment, we have another word from our sponsors. The Millennial Falcon is sponsored by Sonic Devices. Gotta go fast. <laughs> All right. And then let's go to the next segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. More Doctor Who. <laughs> More Doctor Who. What do you really like? Talk about Doctor Who. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly. Anyways, our really like section. Willoughby, why don't you start us off? What do you really like this week? Oh, for the birthday boy. Why? Do, what do you really like this week? Yeah, it was Willoughby's birthday on Friday. Happy birthday, Willoughby! Happy birthday! Thank you. Thank you. I spent my actual birthday uh, seeing the movie First Man. By Damien Chazelle and written by Josh Singer and starring Ryan Gosling and Claire Foy as Neil Armstrong and his wife Jan 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 Armstrong. Yeah. Well, that's a bad sign. I know. Uh, well, yeah. Sure, Jan. Um, <laughs> she, she's in it a lot, but it was just, um, that was my that's my own fault for getting her name because I know Neil Armstrong's name very well. Um, yes. So, the first man is about the first ever man ever. Um, first man in existence. The first man? The, the first one. The first one. It was about Adam um, and okay. his wife Eve. Um, no, it was about Neil Armstrong who went to the moon. Did you guys know he went to the moon? We I did. heard something about that. Yeah, like uh, in 1969. So the movie was really good. It was really, really fun. It's a good, like... I don't want to say return to form for Damien Chazelle because we've only he's only done three movies, but it's very much more a whiplash than a La La Land, if that makes any sense. It does. Um, it it's the the camera work, the editing. It's very much more um, like handheld. There's a lot of snap zooms at family dinners, um, and uh, but what what stood out to me the most about this whole movie is the filmmaking inside when they go to the, when they do all these like rocket trips and, you know, trips to the orbit and to trips to the moon, they don't film it like normal space drama where it's like exterior shots or like, um, cameras like sit, like placed, like mounted to the, to the wall across the, the, from the astronauts faces. So you can get gauge their reactions. This, the filmmaking in this movie is very much more intense and visceral it's all like it's, it's almost like there's a fourth camera person inside the rocket in, in in Apollo 11 that is filming these other guys in tight close-ups and like bouncing around with Ryan Gosling and uh, Corey Stoll who plays um, Buzz Aldrin. So you get like almost like like if you're prone to like motion sickness, you might get motion sickness like watching this movie because there's mo- there's these intense moments of just like feeling like you're never gonna get out of the atmosphere and then once you do it's like a like a jolt and you're just like there 
and you're in like zero g and it's really fascinating um and you know like it's hard to look at it at some points but the experience of going to the moon in that is amazing like just like when they land like it's no spoiler they show the moon landing and it's just like breathtaking you're just like oh boy oh that was a lot of work like it the, the movie really shows you that like these guys are just, just like praying to god that the rocket gets yeah. the entire like they really like there's really like there's science to it but there's not that much science to it nope. and there's like it's just then sort of saying like you know like lighting a match behind you and seeing where it takes you um and it's really it was really well done and i like that the gosling's caricature not caricature characterization of neil armstrong as this like emotionally distant man who really does not know how to express his feelings is amplified in certain scenes where like he just cannot like talk about his emotions and or talk to his kids about what he's doing because it's like how do you tell your kids that you might not make it back from the moon? Like, it's one of those moments. And, yeah. Um, so it really takes advantage of Ryan Gosling's natural stoicism. Oh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> like, basically, like, what if the character from Drive went to the moon? Um, but less murdery. <laughs> less murdery. But less murdery. <laughs> yeah, good. less murdery. Not no murdery, but less murdery. Um, and Claire Foy is really good at a role that is very thankless in terms of in, in these movies. These movies are these none of these space dramas that are about the men who go up into space have ever had like super compelling, compellingly written female characters, which is always a bummer. And Claire Foy does her best, but it's just sort of like she's the wife who's staring at a radio for half the scenes, like, w- waiting to hear from what her husband is doing. And it's, like, she, her, she envelops the character, she develops, and she, what's the word, envelop? Yeah, she envelops the character really well. Like, you could tell, like, she has a very strong persona, personality. But there's not her, much for her to do. And it's kind of a bummer. It's a bit of a, it's a lot of a bummer. Um, but the other parts of the movie, like, where the movie accepts, is really in the actual in the tell like the taking off of rockets and stuff like it's almost like an action movie where you're you're waiting for the next action sequence the next test flight the next apollo mission the next gemini mission like it's almost like almost like an action movie in that sense where like the best parts of the movie are the rocket rocket jumps the rocket launches rocket launches that's the word not jump we're not going eh, jumping through space and time here um the the best parts of the movie are the rocket launches um which might also be the most motion sickness of all the movie but the movie's really good and i definitely recommend it um i definitely cried during the rocket launch of apollo 11 oh that was i mean science is emotional science is emotional emotional I am excited to see it. I have yet to watch it this weekend, but I want to check it out, definitely. Yeah, I recommend it. I recommend it also if you could pay for it in IMAX. I have not seen oh. it in IMAX, but I want to. For sure. Because they filmed the moon landing with IMAX cameras. Ooh. IMAX is no extra money if you have A-list. Yeah, I actually just got A-list, too. So, oh, yeah. well, maybe that I should do that. All right. It's great. Anya, what is your really like this week? All right, so I saw another new movie this weekend that was not First Man. So I saw Bad Times at the El Royale, which is basically Drew Goddard's version of a Quentin Tarantino movie 
Most specifically, The Hateful Eight. A.K.A. Anya was born to love this movie. <laughs> Yay! Never, ever, ever doubt my love for Quentin Tarantino and how much he has shaped me. Um, so anything that gets remotely close to him and is also well-made and good, which Bad Times is, I will love. So, saw Bad Times the El Royale. It was so good. I loved every minute. Um, set in 19... 19- 69, I think, and it is about seven strangers who are staying at this hotel in Tahoe on the border of California and Nevada, and they all have their own secrets, and that is all I'm going to tell you, because that is literally the only thing you should know going into this movie. Also, John Hansen, the movie, that's something people should know. Hold on, I'm getting there. (laughs) Hold on. And there are cults, right? There is a cult, um, yes, and Chris Hemsworth plays the cult leader, um, the which I'm going to get to in leader. a second as well. So that's the thing, is this movie, this movie is fun, it's, it's soundtrack is great, it looks great, it, I like the pace, the dialogue is fun, um, the non-linear storytelling is really cool, but this movie shines because of its cast. Its cast gives 110%, and they are all so interesting to watch. Um, Jeff Bridges and Cynthia Arrivo stole the movie for me. The two of them, for me, were the clear, like, shining stars of the film. Um, I'm really excited for people to see Chris Hemsworth in this film because uh, it's his first time playing a villain, which is not a spoiler. You know that from the start. Um, and I'm excited for people to see that he can be more than just Thor because now we've seen him do comedy and now you'll see him be a villain. And, like, he really does have so much range beyond, like, hunky Australian man. So I'm excited for people to see that. Um, and John Hamm. Guys, I want John Hamm to have a Cary Grant career so bad. It, like, I want it for him. And here's the thing. People are like, oh, Cary Grant, like, classically handsome, golden age Hollywood actor. Cary Grant was a hilarious guy. He was so funny. His comedies, like, Bringing Up Baby and Arsenic and Old Lace are so good and so whack. Philadelphia Story? Philadelphia Story. Although Jimmy Stewart kind of steals that one for me. Um, He's very funny in North by Northwest. He is. As, like, the hapless guy who's, um, like, thrown into his plot. Yeah, you, like, think of Cary Grant, and you're like, ah, like, classically handsome, romantic lead, like, serious. But, like, he wasn't. And his career was so much more than that. And it was so kind of, like, he chose really interesting kind of off-the-wall choices. And we've seen John Hamm do that a little bit since Mad Men. And I just want to see him do it more. And I want to see casting directors put him in more of these roles. Because I think where John Hamm is really going to excel is these sort of, like, um, quirky you know, like, kind of odd Cary Grant-type, offbeat-type roles, and not so much, like, the leading man. Um, And he really gets that in this movie, and so I'd really like to see him do more of that. Uh, So, Bad Times the El Royale, so good. It's funny, it's violent, it's stylistic, it's, you know, quippy, and all the characters are so, like, they all stand out in their own ways, and... I just, you know, if you're a Tarantino fan, you will love Bad Times of the El Royale. I just have a question. Uh, and I certainly did. I just have a question, Anya. Is this in the same universe as Cabin in the Woods? Um, I don't think so. 
Oh, Darn, or is that my, the answer my that internet you've been theory. <laughs> I I'm gonna go out on a limb and say no. All right, all right, all right. Fine. <laughs> all right. So my really like is another film that's not not First Man, but I just came back from seeing it this afternoon. It's The Old Man and the Gun. Robert Redford's supposed swan song, although now we don't know if he's not retiring anymore or not. Um, and it's directed by David Lowery, and it stars Robert Redford as an aging elder um, sort of bank robber who, at the age of 70, continues to make a string of bank robberies throughout the, the country and is undetected until someone notices that a, an old man keeps making bank robberies at every <laughs> at every place uh, and it's like he's a gentleman robber he goes up to a bank and uh kind of just like demands money while showing a gun but then like you know offers a nice compliment or two to the bank teller and uh it's kind of a a really calm and really quiet portrait of a man not unlike robert redford's own celebrity persona someone who is really great at what they do and can't stop doing it and will forever have this amazing fantastical legacy and it is really just like feels like it's uh an homage to redford's own um acting career and legacy as like the classic actor behind so many hollywood classics so i i really liked it um i'm really a big fan of david lowery too and how he has a sort of handle on just kind of humanity in all of his movies. I know that's kind of like cheesy to say, but like his film, like a ghost story, which I was not a huge fan of when I first saw, but it has really stuck with me. Um, especially for specific scenes that I feel like get into like human experience and history and how that builds up into the person that you are today. And I think that is something that you really see in the old man and the gun as well, which is filmed, uh, not digitally it's filmed on film and it really has that grainy like lives in feel which i like a lot um robert redford's great sissy spacek is great as well um casey affleck's in it <laughs> yeah i'll have mixed feelings about that he's fine <laughs> but uh i, I really I like say his... the feelings are mixed yes yeah. yeah i think they're just purely yeah. negative yeah 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 anyways he could have you know he could have been played by someone else but Robert Redford is so good in this film and it feels like a really like apt send off for this great actor that we've been blessed to live at the same time. He's as. so good. He is. He's so good. I love him. And I'm glad he's like finally not phoning it in because he kind of, <laughs> he kind of was in his past few like on-screen appearances, to be honest. Yeah. He, he really feels like he, um, he's putting his soul into this movie and I, I highly recommend it. If it's showing at any of your theaters, it's kind of in limited release right now. The old man and the gun. Awesome. Uh, well, that is our episode for the week, guys. Do you guys have any thoughts on Dr. Who and Jodie Whittaker's first episode or any of the movies that we've seen, First Man, Bad Times, The El Royale, and The Old Man and the Gun, come chat with us. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter, at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. And you can listen to us on SoundCloud, and you can listen, rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes if you're not already doing that, and Google Play as well. Um, where can they find you guys on the internet? Oh, well, Kermit. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at htranbui. You can find me at Anya Crittenton. 
And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. Gorsh! <laughs> Alright, thanks for joining us, guys. Bye! 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 Bye.